This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. A little later on, we're going to be catching up with EnergeticCity.ca investigative reporter Spencer Hall on his latest article on property crime in the North Peace. We've seen lots of discussions about that online, and Spencer uh, dug into that a little more, so we're looking forward to chatting with him about that. But first, the Fort St. John Flight Basketball is hosting a tournament starting today featuring teams uh, from all over the piece, I think, and beyond. So to chat a bit about the club itself and also the tournament, we're joined now by Fort St. John Flight Basketball Vice President Desiree Bedell. Desiree, welcome to Moose Talks. Hi, thanks for having us. <laughs> you're very welcome. Uh, as I understand it, you were kind of... You've been in this kind of from the start. You were there as one of the... Ish. I was ish. a parent back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit of, if you can, a bit of the history of, of Fort St. John Flight and, and you know why it started and where it came from. Um, I don't really know the deep history. Sure. I do know that it kind of started up in about 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't involved right at the beginning, but I'm going to say around 2014, 2015, my oldest played. Uh, so I was a flight mom for about four years mm-hmm. and then... He graduated, and then COVID hit, and so it kind of lulled. Yeah. Um, the executive was great, the old executive. They, they ran a really good club. It was a competitive league. And when they were ready to just let the bird fly, yeah. we stepped up. So this is not a new club, but it's a new-to-us club. I see. Um, so our executive is three main members. It's myself, Jesslyn, and Tara. Um, and we're just a group of moms that wanted to have the availability of basketball for our kids. Yeah, because I guess before that, um, you know, kids could play with their school teams, yeah. correct? But that's a limited season every Yeah, year. and I believe the program was only for roughly grades 7 to 12 at that okay. time. It was just a competitive league for the older athletes. Uh, so when we came into it, um, like I said, I do have an older kids, but I also have a couple younger kids. Yeah. And our president has quite a few younger kids as well. So we wanted a program that could grow with our children and yeah. something that was available to the younger groups as well. So that's where the development league kind of came into play, um, which is grades four to six. And we've had a really great success with that so far. I see. So the development side of it is kind of for the younger kids and yeah. then the older kids get more competitive. I we actually have like four tiers of competitiveness. Okay. Uh, we do our U17 and U15s competitive. They go on five tournaments. Um, and they have assessments and tryout. And then we have our intro to competitive, which is our U13s. So they mm-hmm. still go to tournaments, but it's cut it back to about three. Yeah. Um, and then we have our development, which is grades four to six. And then we also just recently took over or was given the opportunity to be a part of the Spring League basketball in Fort St. John. So we will be also running a Spring League program. Very cool. Yeah. What... Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure people who play sports kind of understand the difference between development and comp- competitive. Can you kind of tell those of us who maybe don't exactly you know, what the difference is? I mean, other than, of course, the age of the kids. Mm-hmm. What, what, what kind of changes when you grow into kind of the older tiers where now you're maybe, I, I assume, worried more about the score and, yeah. <laughs> and your stats in the game and how you're contributing to the team as a whole, I suppose? Eh? Well, our development really focuses on... The 
the fundamentals and the basics. And yeah. the grades four is when elementary schools can start playing competitive sports. So that's a really good opportunity for them because they come out of it in the end of January, I guess. And then our spring league starts up for April. Mm-hmm. And so they come out and they've had some experience. They really like the sport. But it just brings it back a little bit to where we're doing shot form and dribbling techniques and rules and terminology. And, and it helps build those athletes up so that when they do get to the competitive level or the semi-competitive level, they have an understanding of what the game's about and they really have a passion for it by that point. And it's really a great opportunity. We've even heard from school coaches that they're like, wow, this is great. These kids are coming to us and they have experience and they have understanding and they really want to play. That being said, we still openly accept new athletes at all levels and mm-hmm. we're there to, to give an opportunity to the youth and the peace to to play basketball. <laughs> yeah. Because as I understand it, I was speaking to Jessalyn, the uh, president, mm-hmm. about this. Kind of the school league, it's kind of like essentially winter, so they'll play January to March or yeah. April or something like that. This has made it so kids can kind of play basketball basically all year We're round. really rooting for an all-year basketball program. Yeah. Um, of course, with gym availability and coaching volunteers, which is a huge portion of our, our club, uh, this was our first year, just this last school year, basically. We had our winter or our fall league for our 7 to 12s, and it kind of gave them eight weeks of prep before school started, mm-hmm. school basketball started. Um, so that was in late September, October, into just into November. And then school ball hit up, so then they were playing that. And just as we were coming out of school basketball, we did our winter league for the 4 to 6. So they came out with excitement. They wanted to play, eight-week program. It was really... We would do a practice on Tuesdays, game days on Thursdays. It was great. Everyone kind of just got divided and split up, so there was no real teams. Coaches just came in, and that was your coach for the day. I see. It was a really great opportunity to learn people's skills, to play with different teammates, to have different coaching. And then when we run into our U12 development now, they're split into teams. They have their coach, and it's a lot more fundamentally based, but they still get that two practices and game days. So it's just their own little league that they play together, and it's really – it's been really successful so far, and we've had really great feedback. So, at the competitive level, then is it like like is it honed down a lot more then? So that's just one team that then goes to tournaments, or is it still there's enough kids that you can kind of scrimmage and? We and, don't like to say no, so we yeah. basically if we have enough coaches and we have enough interest, we'll do our best to run as many teams. So I think our U15 actually has three teams. Okay. Is it U15? Maybe U13s. But we have, and they're tiered differently based on skills. They've had evaluations and stuff. And so that when we're going to tournaments, we're not playing our own teams. Yeah. So that way we've got the the silver, the bronze, the gold divisions. I see. Um, Right now we haven't really had a lot of scrimmage time between the teams, but then we've got connections with Dawson and Grand Prairie and and they kind of would be interested in coming for exhibition games and stuff and playing together. Uh, another great thing about that is that our U17s and our U15s will coach and uh, ref our younger kids. Mm-hmm. So it really brings community back. It gives the older kids an idea of what it's like to be a ref because you don't always agree with what they have to say. But now you kind of have the shoe on the other foot and you get an opportunity <laughs> to be like, Ugh, that's what they call. You know, so it's a really great community sport. Um, well, surprisingly, a lot of the older kids are signing up for refing, And it's been really great just to keep the love of the sport alive and the parents if you guys want to volunteer we have practice plans made up you don't need any experience you just come in support your children support the club and mm-hmm. have a good time so if if you don't really even know much about basketball mm-hmm. there's there's volunteer positions yeah there's positions available. all over especially in the in the development league and we find that a lot of the parents stepping up are just parents and they just mm-hmm. they 
we have Brad, Jocelyn's husband, who does a great job with practice plans. And that way, when they're coming out of it, they're all getting the same information. You're not yeah. going to have a more experienced coach have a have a better team or whatever. Like Everyone's learning the same thing. And, and it's really great to just bring it back down to that level and still enjoy the sport. Mm-hmm. Where are these athletes kind of coming from? I, I Obviously, Fort St. John, but... <laughs> Do you have do you have some people kind of coming in from kind of the local towns nearby to play along? Do you have a wide catchment area? I uh, mostly just the Fort St. John and surrounding areas, yeah. just for our teams in general. Um, but we do have like all the teams coming for the tournament, which is yeah. really exciting. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just a sec. I did want to make sure we talked about this. I, you've mentioned it a couple times though. Uh, the earliest you can sort of start playing, I think you said kind of grade, grade four, four is yeah. when it starts. Say, um, If parents listening right now, I mean, it's a pro D day. They're probably <laughs> top of mind is what do I do to keep my kids busy? Um, and they, they're interested in getting involved with this. How how can they do that? When when do you accept kind of new athletes? Uh, that kind of um, stuff. Well, with now with our year running program, every couple of months we are opening up to having the the more development side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, competitive teams are already built. <laughs> yeah, and that they've actually already went on their first tournament. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just every couple of months, if you reach out to the Facebook page or keep an eye on the Facebook group, I'm yeah. a social media, social media manager, so I would be the one you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just post pretty regularly on when we're starting tryouts or when we're opening registrations and that. So that's our main focal point. Um, you can always reach out by email if you needed a direct question, but Facebook is pretty much the easiest for a quick response. Yeah. Do you know offhand kind of when the next time you'll be opening things up again is? Well, Spring League registration closes today. So okay. if you have anyone between grades 7 to 12. Yeah. That Very be, last minute. You yeah. Can do <laughs> this is okay. our last day. Um, otherwise, it won't be probably until the fall. Until the fall. Okay. All right, and then the kind of the best way, as you said, follow you guys on mm-hmm. Facebook is kind of where they work for you. Um, and there is an FSJ Hoops program. Um, a couple of our coaches actually run that, and that's kind of more of like the summer drop-in and throughout the school year, so there's also a Facebook page for that. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And then again, yeah, we have the Spring League program, which is really exciting. So we kind of just have all of our basketball in Fort St. John under kind of one umbrella mm-hmm. where we have our connections for that. So it's really for any age group from grades 4 to 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, uh, I think it's called the Northern Hoops Classic, the tournament. Yes. Uh, uh, I don't know if it started already, but it starts today and goes through. It starts at 1. Until uh, uh, Sunday. Tell us a bit uh, about that. Uh, it's not the first Northern Hoops, but yeah. again, it is, an, it is our first Northern Hoops as an executive. <laughs> um, and we did bring on a committee to help with that because there's so much that goes into it behind what you see. Yeah. Um, and we're just really lucky. We have 43 teams coming to the Peace Region. It's amazing. So, yeah, it's really great. Like, I mean, our club has 17 teams total. We have nine competitive. So it's really great that, that Fairview and uh, Peace River and Grand Prairie and Dawson Creek, they're all coming together. Uh, and so it's really exciting. We have tournaments starting at 1 today and going till as late as 5, I think, mm-hmm. on Sunday. So it's going to be a busy weekend of basketball. Yeah, and I think I saw um, it. it's kind of, I guess, mainly at North Peace Secondary School, yeah. but also at Burt Bowes and Margaret and Margaret Mar- 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 yeah. too. Okay. Is that split up between like age groups, or is it kind of random where people are changing? Not really. It's kind of a mix of everybody. Yeah, okay. uh, we do have a lot more focus on today and tomorrow will be mainly the boys and then Saturday and Sunday for girls. And that was just to kind of better accommodate our traveling teams so that they could pick their night basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, yeah, it's all different age groups, all different times. And we're excited. You know, uh, that brings up another question. I know I'm going backwards now, but uh, you mentioned boys and girls. You got separate teams. Yes, we have 
a lot more boys teams, but yeah. we are getting in there with our girls. Um, we have two competitive girl teams, a U15 and U17, and then seven competitive boy teams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then the younger, the, the U13 is also split boy and girl, and then the U12 is, is mixed. Okay. And spring league is kind of mixed as well. <laughs> uh, to come to the basketball games, there is kind of a bit of an admission price. I think uh, mm-hmm. you said uh, they're taking non-perishable food items from the Women's Resource yes. Society, which is very cool. If you don't have that, you could also just get five bucks at the door, which is also going to the Women's Resource Society. Um, I think just the donations is going to the Women's oh, Resource. Gotcha. Okay. And then the, And then we are doing um, 50-50 draws and gift baskets and stuff okay. like that to kind of raise funds for the club to buy equipment. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, right. score clocks, basketballs. You wouldn't know how much a basketball costs. <laughs> and is there a schedule of kind of when all the games are available on the Facebook um, page? I believe they actually have their own Facebook page. So gotcha. if you look up the Northern Hoops Classic Facebook page, there should be a schedule. I think they're going to try to do some live feeds of some of the games. I don't know if they're going to be able to get all of them on there, yeah. but we'll definitely be posting about them. Uh, yeah, and there should be a schedule posted. Wonderful. Well, Desiree, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes yeah. to chat with us about this day. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us, and go watch some basketball. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that's Desiree Bedell, the uh, vice president of uh, the Fort St. John Flight Basketball. We'll be right back to talk with Spencer Hall all about property crime in northern BC right after this. Welcome back to the show. Now we're going to talk about a, well, really a topic that's evergreen. It certainly has come up a lot lately on local Facebook pages and whatnot, and that is property crime. So our investigative reporter, Spencer Hall over at EnergeticCity.ca, decided to delve into it with his latest article uh, that came out recently. Spencer, welcome back to Moose Talks. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on the other side of the glass. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. Uh, If you can, tell us a bit about kind of in general terms your article on uh, property crime. I think it was Fort St. John and sort of the North PC. eh? Um, Yeah, so Fort St. John was included just because we live here. Yeah. Uh, And uh, there's always posts on social media talking about property crime. But, uh, you know, I found through my investigation that Fort St. John is actually kind of returning to a historical level of property crime because it went down during the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Um, And that's because we were all stuck in our houses. So it it is going up. But to kind of the level... So Fort like St. John, one. yes. Yeah. Dawson Creek, however, is seeing a significant rise. And, oh, okay. you know, we kind of... It, it's difficult because I wasn't able to get the perspective of the Dawson Creek RCMP, just because I, I imagine they're very busy. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, with, uh, with Dawson Creek and Fort St. John, and because we're so close to the Alberta border, there's actually a lot of trans-jurisdictional property crime that happens. So, wow. So there's essentially, there's uh, repeat offenders, and they're actually they're a very small percentile of of who's committing these crimes but they create a bulk of it like we're talking about you know 85 to 90 percent roughly so and and by that you mean somebody causes a crime in grand prairie in dawson creek in fort st john in goodloe and clear like all kind of all over the place they're they're moving about yes yeah so, you know, that's kind of one thing that uh, I was able to kind of uncover. I mean, it's been talked about a lot, obviously. Um, and um, they have been fairly successful in, in uh, you know, capturing and actually holding um, these, um, these people who are committing these crimes. Because a big issue right now is because of, you know, COVID and, and not wanting to overcrowd prisons, it was actually kind of easier to get bail. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a huge uh, issue now where, and you see it all the time with, with RCMP releases, you know, they, they were released on, uh, you know, conditions or whatever, yeah. uh, which isn't un- unusual, but, um, you know, when, when it's a repeat 
you know, offenders, I heard that a lot of RCMP officers and, of course, members of the community are, are getting frustrated because, you know, uh, with the RCMP, they put in all this work and then, t- you know, an hour later, the person's back on the street doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I wondered if there was a part of this um, and, and you kind of spoke to it already, the perception of mm-hmm. more crime. Maybe we're hearing about it more suddenly, and especially because we're hearing about it more, people are more apt to bring up their stories of it happening to them. And as you said, Fort St. John, at least, is kind of returning to the level it was at, which, you know, is still not good, but it's nonetheless not like we're seeing an enormous spike that that is unheard of before, right? So how much of this do you think is sometimes perception when we look at social media and people discussing it that... It maybe seems worse than it might be. Did you were you able to talk to RCMP about that or, or find out anything on, uh, in that regard about the perception of crime really kind of spiking in this? Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things that I do when I do an investigation is I take a hypothesis. So yeah. this one, crime is up. I can't prove that crime is up out of the gate. So if I had started this, uh, this investigation saying crime is up. I don't have the facts to back that up. Yeah. So my first question that I looked into during the investigation is, well, is crime up? Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking to the head of the Fort St. John detachment, uh, he very much was like, if there's one thing you can take away from this interview is that, yes, crime is, you know, kind of going up. But, you know, Fort St. John, I'm not, and we're not sure why, has historically had a higher level of property crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the perception, and I also think, you know, with social media, it's easy to... You know, you see things, the algorithm is kind of designed to see things that you will react to. Usually that's not positive things. Mm -hmm. So I think that there was a perception that it is higher uh, in Fort St. John. In Dawson Creek, it absolutely is higher. Um, And I think that folks from Fort St. John will sometimes see that and be like, oh, well, yes, I I, I did this. So, you know, kind of looking, what we did was we took the property crime statistics, which the RCMP have to report to the uh, Stats Canada every year. Mm -hmm. And we took a a 10-year spread and we looked at it and we were like, is it higher right now? It is higher, but it's not as high as, say, it was in 2019. So, you know, it's really kind of making sure that you check your hypothesis before you kind of go into, well, why? So we need to make sure first, is it higher? Yes, it is. Why? Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, it's not. Then why are people feeling this way? So I think that, uh, you know, it's great that we have so much, you know, social media is great to, to communicate. And we were able to find out because of social media that, you know, crime is up in Dawson Creek. Of course, there were also groups that were meeting with the mayor and stuff like that. So that tipped us off as well. But, you know, really making sure that this is happening for sure before we kind of launch into the next thing. And I think with perception, too, I mean, like, you know, if I say, oh, I was, uh, you know, I, I, my place was hit last night. And then you're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, someone else you know, my, I know somebody else whose place was hit, then you're, you know, your confirmation bias, you're going to be looking, you're going to be more uh, aware of property crime yeah. because you've heard it, you know? Uh, so I think that that plays into it as well. Wow. Wow. Um, from the RCMP, were you able to garner any, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're preparing for. If this continues to go up, was that were they able to offer any kind of real answers on on that regard? Because I know the budget for our detachment is going up. Uh, there was something recently from the city about how they're shouldering all of it, and they expect it to be a part of the you know, you know the uh, the process of planning that with the federal government. But anyway, mm-hmm. is that to cover off some of this that th- when crime went down during COVID that now we're seeing more 
to maybe make it easier for RCMP officers to do their work and, and maybe prevent some of this from happening? So, yes and no. Um, in speaking with the Fort St. John Detachment Commander, he told me that you know they don't have a dedicated crime reduction unit. However, they do have officers, and he said he's been able to leverage officers from other detachments like Dawson Creek, and, and I think they have one that they're working with in Alberta, because again, there's that trans-jurisdictional line. Yeah. Um, so they have, like, they have a kind of like a unit where they're working with that, and that through that, they were actually able to, I think, nab two prolific um, offenders, and once they did that, they said that they, they saw a massive decrease in wow. the amount of, of crime that's being committed. So again, it's that small group of people, um, and, you know, people like to think that it's, you know, the uh, you know, the people who are, you know, maybe uh, struggling with uh, with housing that yeah. it is doing this. But I'd argue that usually when you're when you're houseless, you don't really have the resources. So it is actually a, a small group of, mm-hmm. of criminals that are doing this. This is how they make money. They don't go to work like nine to five. That That's what they're doing. They're taking yeah. copper piping out of the walls. And that's how they're doing it. Wow. So essentially, RCMP is working now to nab this small group that's doing, as you said, about 90% of all the property crime working with these other jurisdictions to make that happen because they keep crossing the border to do so yeah yeah and and you know there's challenges there again like i I mentioned with bail so one of the things that was kind of brought up during my investigation was that there needs to be kind of bail reform Mm -hmm. um and another thing too was that you know it's not just our area in in bc that is seeing this rise in property crime and actually throughout canada they're seeing rises of crime so for example manitoba is seeing a lot of um, it, offenses being uh, with uh, using bear spray uh, mm-hmm. in in a violent way. Ontario seeing a rise in gun violence. So you know, I think a lot of it is. It is uh, I think with property crime, it's you know, it's it's how people make money. I think yeah. other times you're seeing unrest because of what we've just been through in the last few years. I don't know if you heard there was a giant pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so. I think that that's really kind of what we're seeing, but I think that um, you know that that reform really needs to go in, and that's going to stop us from seeing you know the same folks on the street an hour after they've been arrested. Wow, fascinating as uh, per usual. All right, well, you can read the article now that Spencer wrote over at EnergeticCity.ca. It's under the news tab uh, and under investigative. Um, and uh, your next article is sort of going to be related to this, as I understand. Is we're not there yet, but. You tell us a bit about that if if you can, um, if you're allowed. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to, uh, but okay. uh, no. There's a you know we're trying to kind of connect with the with the groups that are you know uh, not necessarily RCMP affiliated. I know there's one group that works you know kind of in tandem with the RCMP, but yeah. they're trying to kind of bring down the level of uh, they're essentially trying to be very aware. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much all I can say about okay. it. Um, but we'll, we, you know, yeah. it, you'll be able to read about it hopefully next month. Definitely more to say on crime in the North Peace. So check out the article now. Again, energeticcity.ca under the news tab and under investigative. And uh, we'll have more on this uh, from future investigative articles from uh, energeticcity.ca's investigative reporter, Spencer Hall. Spencer, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. My thanks to our guests, Desiree Bedell and Spencer Hall, for joining us today. Make sure you check out the podcast version of the show and other excellent Energetic City podcast over at energeticcity.ca slash podcast. You can also listen to them anytime with the 100.1 Moose FM app, which is 100.1% free for you to download from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Well, that's the show for today. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks, and I'm Dub Craig. Be well. 
Thanks for listening to this EnergeticCity.ca podcast. EnergeticCity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join.